You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Okay, so uh, unfortunately, and and maybe fortunately, we're going to start this morning by talking about leprosy. Um, Leprosy is is the disease that's mentioned in this this miracle. It's also mentioned a lot in the Bible. So if you started a Bible reading plan, you're probably still in Genesis at this point. If you started just chronologically reading the Bible this year, well, you're going to hit a slump when you get to Leviticus, which is uh, the third book of the Bible, and you're going to get a bigger slump when you get to laws about leprosy, let me tell you. Um, But I just think there's a lot of really cool things going on in that. So press on, and, uh, and, and hopefully this morning we'll see a little bit more about and learn a little bit more about leprosy. What does that mean? Um, and like I said, leprosy is mentioned a lot in the Bible. It's because leprosy was, was a particularly common disease in the ancient world, and it, it's a particularly common disease throughout human history. In the Middle Ages, for example, it's estimated that one in 30 people had leprosy in the world. One in 30 people had leprosy in the world. Today, around 200,000 people have leprosy, and um, we've changed the name. It's called Hansen's disease now, Um, and the reason so few people have leprosy now is because we understand leprosy more. We we now understand that it's a, a bacterial infection of the skin, and we have antibiotics, and so we are able to treat bacterial infections fairly effectively. Um, and so we've just gotten better at treating it. But, but in ancient Israel, um, leprosy was, was mysterious, and I, and I don't mean totally in the way by, by diagnosis, like obviously they didn't understand that it was bacteria in the way we do, but, but it was mysterious and it was dangerous and it was visible, like you could see leprosy in a way that other diseases might not be outwardly visible. And, um, and it was contagious. It spread easily. And so what would happen is that lepers would all often be um, quarantined outside of communities. And then because they were isolated and alone, lepers would also kind of flock together and form colonies, which are called leper colonies. And they would, they would, um, they would just stay together because they were who they had. And, um, you know, it's interesting because the book of Leviticus not only talks about leprosy, but it also talks about what to do when somebody has leprosy. Because um, in in the the law of God, um, there were categories for people who could not approach God in His temple. These people were called unclean people. And and to be clear, that's not a moral category. It's not a, it's not saying you're unclean because you're sinful. It was simply saying. If you have these types of conditions, you are unclean and you can't approach God in his temple. But Leviticus also gives a lot of different ways to get clean, um, particularly through the temple system and the priest system. But it, it's kind of funny because you look at these ceremonial rules and they look a lot like our rules about quarantine, right? It usually involves some sort of quarantine, which we're all very comfortable with the, the understanding of quarantine now that we've been through a large global pandemic where we all had to quarantine and still the, the, the prescription is like if you've come into contact with COVID-19 or you have COVID-19, you need to quarantine, right? That's, that's the same stuff they talk about in Leviticus. You need to separate and clean yourself, wash your hands, wash your flesh, wash your skin, and then come back and the priest will kind of 
make a diagnosis on how your skin disease is going, if it looks like it's healing or if it looks like it's spreading. And then there was all sorts of sacrificial things that the priest would do in order to help you be cleaned from your leprosy. And so we, we kind of get this, right? Like, but Leviticus 13 um, is the section that's titled Laws Concerning Leprosy. And it starts by just saying if a person has leprosy, if a person has a leprous disease, they should go to the priest. That's the, the very first prescription is if you've got leprosy, go to the priest, and so again, um, just to just what am I what am I trying to say? Um, it's important to understand that in the Bible, leprosy meant you were unclean, and uncleanliness is not a moral category. It's simply a category in relation to the temple system. And the reason is this: leprosy was an outward reminder of proximity to death. Doesn't mean leprosy necessarily killed people, although it did. It just meant that to be, to have an outward sign of leprosy meant that everybody around you was aware of, of mortality. Everybody was aware of the fact that we are humans and we, we die. And so the reason that is labeled as unclean in the Old Testament is simply because Yahweh, God, is the God of life. He's not just the God of life, He's the God of transcendent life. And so for those who had, for example, touched a dead body or had somebody die in their home or had leprosy, they had to go through rules and rituals and ceremonies like quarantine, like cleanliness, and like sacrifice to be able to enter into the presence of the God of life. That's what is going on here. And the reality is it's because the ancient Israelites in their practice of the temple system, they knew that death is not what we were made for. Death was a result of the fall. It's not who we are made for. That's why death is so foreign to us as humans. It, it's, it's coming for all of us, and at the same time, it never feels right. It never feels like what we were made for because we just weren't. Death is the punishment for sin. It's a result of the fall. And so to be unclean, to be categorically unclean, is to be associated with or reminding others of death. And the beauty is that Leviticus also gives us ways to wash ourselves of death, which we are not made for, in order to enter into the presence of the God of life. And so why are we talking so much about that? Well, well leprosy is dealt with here in Luke 17, and readers of Luke 17 would be expected to know all about leprosy, right? It would just be leprosy was so common in the culture that everybody understood it. Everybody, especially in Jerusalem where they're heading, would have known what to do as a leper and in relation to the, pre, the priest system and the temple system. There, there would have been this common understanding that we have to do a little background to learn about because it's just not common in our culture. And so these 10 lepers were unclean in a system that defined uncleanliness as proximate to death. They could not approach God's presence without being labeled as clean by a priest. They aren't morally bad. But particularly for lepers, especially in Jesus' time, from Leviticus on, there grew a stigma of, of lepers are isolated, lepers are bad, lepers are not to be associated with. And so beyond what the Leviticus system gives us in relation to lepers, there had, there had been this growing centuries-old stigma around leprosy. And so the, these ten could not get into the temple and be near to God. They could not worship God in a temple or a synagogue. And if you had chronic leprosy like, like they did, you would never be pronounced clean. 
It just it was not a category in their mind that they thought, well, we're going to be pronounced clean by the priest. Maybe this week. Maybe we'll go again next week. They, they had chronic leprosy. They were together, isolated, the tin. But then they see Jesus. So let's read what happens in verse 11. It says this. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered this village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he does. And he said to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleaned. Right, so the, the lepers make sure to keep their distance, but they cry out to Jesus because they've heard about Jesus at this point in Jesus' ministry, right? Like they probably wouldn't know or, or suspect that Jesus is God necessarily, but they've heard about the teachings, they've heard about the miracles, they've heard about the healings. And when Jesus enters their village, they take their chance and they yell out, Jesus, you're our master. Um, and and they, they mean kind of like you're the teacher, the master, would you heal us? And Jesus does have mercy on them, but he says, okay, remember Leviticus 13, the verse we read, verse 1, go to the priest who will declare you clean. So Jesus says, okay, go, go to the priest and have him declare you as clean. And then we're told, um, miraculously, between the time they left and the time they arrive at the priest, they are cleaned, right? It says, as they went, they were cleaned. So the priest, to be clear, the priest didn't clean them. He declared them clean because by the time they got to the priest, they were clean. And so this, there's this beautiful miracle that occurred. They, these, these ten that were plagued by leprosy, isolated, standing at a distance, they are, they are cleaned, we're told, all ten of them, and yet um, only one returns. And right, remember from the Levitical system, just by being clean, it didn't mean that you you had to go do anything else, but it did mean that you had now access to God. You could go into the temple and dwell near to the God of life. And yet in this system, uh, or, or in this miracle, Jesus cleans ten lepers and only one decides to use his cleanliness to draw near to the God of life. Only one returns. It says this in verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And when he gets to Jesus, he fell at the fa on his face at Jesus' feet and gave him thanks. We're told, now he was a Samaritan. Hold that thought. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, this Samaritan? And then he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So again, one out of 10, 10% of the lepers return and actually utilize their cleanliness to enter into God's presence and worship. Only one of 10 return to Jesus and fall at his feet. And then Luke tells us a very important note. He says, now he was a Samaritan. And again, this is another cultural thing where if you're reading Luke's gospel in Luke's context, you'd be like, wow, he's a Samaritan. But for us, we have to do a little research and figure out, okay, what, what does it mean that he was a Samaritan? And we've already learned about leprosy and uncleanliness, but let's go down the, the rabbit hole of Samaria. Um, 
Samaritans are famous in the gospel because God in Christ, so Jesus chooses to use Samaritans in parables, like the good Samaritan, or he chooses to draw near to Samaritans, like the woman at the well, or he chooses to point out Samaritans when they're around, just like in this situation with the leper, the Sam- his Samaritanness, his ethnicity is pointed out to everybody reading, and, and Samaritans were this racially mixed group of people, they were a mix between Israelites, so the Jewish people, and Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. So according to Jewish lineage, they did not have pure Jewish blood. So they weren't welcome among the pure Jewish people, like the Israelites who are very concerned with lineage and, uh, and making sure there was pure ethnic lineage in the people of God. The Samaritans weren't welcome among them, but because they also had Jewish blood, they weren't welcome among the Gentiles. So Samaria had become this outpost kind of like a leper colony, um, which we're supposed to associate with that, of, of this people that nobody really interacted with, right? They, they, they actually, they had their own Bible, they had their own Pentateuch, they had their own history, they had their own temple. They were not welcome in the Jewish temple, and they certainly weren't welcome with the Gentiles because they still worshiped God in Yahweh. They assimilated to non-Jewish culture, and, and Samaria was known for intermarrying, especially with outsider groups. So Samaria was like this refugee colony where anybody who didn't fit in was welcome. Um, Samaria, which we're told Jesus is traveling along Samaria and Galilee, Samaria was this region where the Samaritans lived, and it would have been the fastest route to travel from Galilee to Jerusalem. But most Jews avoided it and took the long way around as to not defile themselves, as they said. We wouldn't want to defile ourselves by going through Samaria. It's almost like to interact with a Samaritan or to go through Samaria or just to be a Samaritan was to be unclean. It was to be a leper in their cultural system. And so maybe you see what Jesus is brilliantly doing. And Luke is brilliantly showing us, he's showing us that lepers are ceremonially unclean. And the Samaritans, because of a cultural stigma, were culturally unclean. And yet, Jesus is going to say, both of you will have access to God through faith. Even though this system of Israel would would deny you both access to God, I'm going to change all that. This is... This is radical, right? Like everybody would have been aware of the lepers. Like they, it's visible. You can, you can tell somebody has leprosy. Everybody know, would have known Jesus just healed these lepers. And everybody, because of their ethnic makeup, would have known this is a Samaritan that has come back in gratitude to Jesus. Like everybody would have known that that guy was a leper and a Samaritan, and yet he came back. And now he's not only healed of his leprosy, he's worshiping at God's feet. And Jesus says this to him in verse 19, rise and go your way, your Faith has made you well. The Greek word for made you well there is sasokin. And sasokin most commonly translated means saved. I think the better translate, when many Bible, the ESV doesn't do this, but many Bible translations translate this verse this way. Go, therefore, your faith has saved you. The lepers are told to follow the law. They're told that a priest must declare them clean, and clean people, therefore, are able to enter into the presence of the God of life. They all go. They are all healed from leprosy. They are all declared clean by the priest, but only one, the Samaritan, mind you, uses his cleanliness to go back and enter the God of life's presence. He comes to Jesus and worships in gratitude. 
the priest cleaned, declared him clean from leprosy, but only God can clean us truly. And with that cleanliness, you're free to go, do whatever you want. But Jesus says, your faith brought you back in gratitude, and therefore your faith has saved you. Right? Only one leper has used his gratitude or, or his cleanliness, rather, to enter God's presence in gratitude. And, and it's his gratitude that displays his faith. It's not his gratitude that saves him, right, to be clear. It's not because he came back that he's saved. It's not because he worships at Jesus' feet that he's saved. It's not because he expresses thankfulness that he's saved. He does those things because he had faith. He had faith that the man who just sent me to be healed is God. Right, the verse is clear. He goes back and worships God, and Jesus says, who told you to worship God? Why did you come back to worship God? Jesus doesn't deny it. He doesn't deny that he's God in this moment. He says, where are the other nine? Why are they not worshiping God as this man's worshiping him? Like curious ears in the room would have heard, did Jesus just say that he's God? Um, there's another Old Testament story uh, about leprosy being cleaned. It's in 2 Kings 5. I'm just going to give the brief overview of it. Um, it's this non-Jewish man, this foreigner named Naaman, and Naaman is a Syrian commander of high esteem, but he's got leprosy. Um, and so he's kind of hit the roof of his, of his career. He can't be a ruler. He can't manage anything. He's got leprosy. He was a great commander in, in the Syrian conquest of Judea, but that's about it. He's got leprosy. So he's, even in Syria, it was a stigma, right? Like, oh, well, that's kind of the end of your thing. Um, but, but Naaman, after the conquest of Judea, takes a slave, a young Jewish girl, and gives it to his wife, gives her to his wife. And this girl, this young Jewish slave girl, says to Naaman one day, I wish that you could meet my pro a prophet of Yahweh a prophet of God. In fact, there's a great one in Samaria named Elisha. And Elisha, I bet, would be able to cure you. So Naaman takes this information, goes to the king, and gets permission to travel to Samaria in order to be healed by this prophet. And when he does, he comes to the prophet Elisha, and Elisha says, yeah, I can cure you. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. The Jordan is this river that Jesus will be baptized in. And Naaman's response is that he becomes irate. He says, there are hundreds of rivers in Syria that are better than the Jordan. Like, that's literally his response. He says, I will not go wash myself in the dirty river of Israel. And the little girl, the little slave girl, who's Jewish, says, wait, wait, wait. Did, did the prophet really tell you you would be cured if you went and bathed in the Jordan seven times? And Naaman says, yes. And she says, and you're not going to go? Like, that's literally her response. Will you not do it? She says, will you not listen and try it? Naaman goes and washes seven times in the Jordan, and it says his flesh became like the flesh of a little child, like he was born again. Um, and the next verse, right after he's, we get that line that his flesh became like the flesh of a child. Naaman goes to the prophet Elisha and says this, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but the God of Israel. Like Naaman returns in gratitude. His leprosy is cleaned and he proclaims God as God. This story 
is so linked to the story of the Samaritan being healed, right? Like in, in the story of Naaman's healing, a prophet tells Naaman, the foreigner, to go and be cleaned by a Samaritan, no less, a prophet. And when the little girl knocks enough sense into him to at least try it, he is cleaned and his skin is like a child's. And he returns to the prophet of God and proclaims that Yahweh is the God of life. But in the story of the ten lepers, Jesus, the true prophet, and God himself tells the ten, including the Samaritan foreigner, to go be clean. And when he sees it to be true, only the Samaritan returns to proclaim that God is God and the God of life. His faith saves him. You see, Jesus is the better Elisha. He's the better prophet. He's also the better priest. A priest can declare you as clean or unclean, but only Jesus can make you clean or unclean. And remember, Jesus has not come to abolish the law. He's not interested in abolishing the law. He's come to fulfill and uphold it. So the kingdom is only for those who are ceremonially clean. Jesus is not saying, welcome to all who are unclean now. He's saying, no, no, my kingdom is only for those who are clean. And it's also only for those of the right lineage. Jesus isn't saying anybody can come in to be the people of God. He's saying, I will make you clean and I will give you adoption. I will give you the right lineage. I will give you the ceremonial cleanliness that you need. But how, you know, how does Jesus declare anyone clean? Well, in Leviticus 14, um, Right after we get all these laws about leprosy, we get the sacrificial laws surrounding leprosy. And to be cleaned from leprosy required the sacrifice of a lamb, and we're told a lamb without spot, a lamb without blemish. The sacrifice not only be a sacrifice to cleanse leprosy, but we're also told it's a guilt offering as well. So if you, if you sacrifice this lamb without spot, in verse 20, you would not only be cleaned or the sacrifice would clean you of leprosy, it would also free you from guilt of sin. It would be an atonement sacrifice, we are told in verse 20. In healing the lepers and atoning for the Samaritans with faith, Jesus is saying that he will make them clean through his sacrifice, that he will become the lamb without blemish, that will be sacrificed on behalf of the people of God. Because the reality is we have a disease too. The disease of death is felt when we, when we fail to be obedient. It's felt when our work and toil um, cause us to suffer and strive. It's felt when we get exhausted at the end of the day or at the end of a particularly hard week. It's felt when we get sick, when, you know, when you get sick and you only are aware of when you were healthy, like nothing else matters than being healthy again. It's felt when someone we love dies. It's felt when we're reminded of death and sorrow. And Jesus is showing us that there's this deep ailment that plagues men, and it's, it's deeper than skin, right? It's, it's to the core of our being that, that the curse of sin and death brought forth to all men through the sin of Adam is pervasive, and it can't be lifted by, by just anything we do, it requires a sacrifice of one without blemish, someone perfect. Jesus, we know, will, will offer up himself as the slaughtered lamb, the perfect and obedient sacrifice for his people. And in doing so, he will transfer those who have faith from unclean to clean or guilty to not guilty. 
He does this through his death on a cross, and his resurrection shows that this atonement was successful. The firstborn of the dead has risen. The cleansing was effective. The atonement worked. And not only is Jesus effective in removing our guilt and giving us guiltlessness, removing our uncleanliness and giving us cleanliness, not only is he effective on the, in this category, he also adopts us into a new lineage. Jesus says, it doesn't, like, I, I honor the diversity. I honor where you were born, like, that ethnicity matters, but it, it doesn't matter more than the, than the adoption that I'm giving my people into a new kingdom, into a new lineage. That's why the Samaritan can be saved and is saved, because our lineage is now dependent on faith, not birth. The Samaritan embodied the blend of Jew and Gentile that makes up the kingdom of God. That's why it's so important that he was a Samaritan, because Samaritans were neither Jew nor Gentile. But in fact, they were both Jew and Gentile. And Jesus is saying, my kingdom is through faith, and anybody, Jew and Gentile, who comes in faith is in. For those who have faith in Jesus, you have been saved, you have been cleaned, you have been adopted, and when the Samaritan returns, Jesus asks, where are the other nine? Where were they not healed? And sure, their leprosy was cured, but they didn't, they didn't show their faith or their gratitude. The response of the one who realizes that they have been cleaned by God, the only response of that person is to return and kneel at the feet of God. The, res- the Samaritan returned in gratitude because of his faith. And when I think about that, and when I've, I've kind of meditated on this this week, like, gratitude is not natural for me. Um, and, and, I mean, at the, very, at the very ultimate level, that's because I'm sinful and, I, and my flesh is at war against the Holy Spirit inside me. But, boy, I have to realize, too, that, like, the culture, especially Western American culture, is fighting against gratitude in my life. Here's what I mean. Like, Every commercial that you ever interact with is actively telling you that your life will be better if you have a Coke or a new car, right? Like commercials are designed to tell you to be ungrateful for what you have and that, you, that gratitude is just around the corner when you have that cold, refreshing Coca-Cola classic. Social media is also doing this. Right? Like social media is showing us that, um, hey, you're going to see the best parts of all your friend's life. And it's going to, even if you don't recognize this in the moment, what we're being taught, what I'm being taught on social media is that their life is better than mine. And so my natural response in that moment is not gratitude or celebration of how great their life is. It's a feeling that says, oh, they're doing something more fun or better with better people, and I'm just sitting here, right? Like, I just think we need to be aware of how ingratitude is, is just pervasive in our culture, and everything is fighting against our gratitude, right? Like it fi- but, but gratitude runs counter to these feelings. Gratitude runs uh, counter towards bitterness and cynicism, and it rightly orders us. Gratitude rightly orders us at the feet of Jesus, on our face, at the feet of God. 
For the leper, gratitude flowed from his healing and from his faith in the one who healed him, and gratitude drove him to worship the creator. And this morning, um, I I wonder if we could start to think about the rhythms and small practices of our lives, even if they feel mundane, like the practice of coming to the table. Um, We come to the table where we remember that Jesus made atonement. He sacrificed himself for us, and, and he invited us into the lineage of his people. We remember that he had to die for us to be healed. And if you believe that, the response is worship and gratitude. And, and the Lord's Supper is an invitation for us to be grateful. That's why other traditions really call the Lord's Supper the Eucharist. Well, well Euchariston, it's the same word used here in Luke. When, when the leper, uh, he's no longer a leper, when the Samaritan kneels at Jesus' feet, it says he gave Jesus Euchariston. He gave him thanksgiving. The meal is traditionally called the meal of thanksgiving because it's an opportunity, a rhythm in your life. Even if you've fought against bitterness and cynicism and anger and jealousy all week, it's an opportunity in your life to come to the table and give thanks. Um, When we come together and worship and pray and hear the word, it's an opportunity for us to be invited into gratitude. When we give thanks before a meal in prayer, if you pray before dinner, it's an opportunity to practice gratitude. So right now we are invited to express our gratitude and share in the Thanksgiving meal, which is offered by Jesus, our sacrificial lamb. We have been declared clean of sin. We have been freed from the stain of death. And by faith, we've been made into a new lineage, the people of God. And so would you join me in giving thanks at the table? Let me pray for us first. Lord, we worship you as the God who has cleaned us, who has has removed our guilt and removed the blemish of guilt from our lives by your work on our behalf. We, We praise you. We worship you. We enter into your presence. We love you. Um. We love you like a laughing baby in the presence of our Father, laughing with joy and gratitude. I I pray that you would make me more like a laughing baby this week when I when I look at the my life and the life of those around me and see hardship or sorrow or anything like that. I pray that I would um worship you in praise and gratitude that you that you have not only been present in those things but that you would use those evils for growing us and your good how how else can we be grateful how can we access gratitude unless you by your holy spirit lord show us what wisdom is show us what what you are doing who is really in control lord i pray that i would Um, And and we would leave this morning thinking of new ways to give you worship and praise in gratitude for what you have done, given us faith that's made us well, faith that your work has made us well, faith that your life is counted to us, faith that you rose again in victory over sin and death, faith that we will rise again at your return, faith that we will worship you for eternity with one another over a meal of thanksgiving. Lord, we need you to to sow gratitude in us. It's not natural. It's, in fact, kind of counter to all of my flesh. But 
your Holy Spirit is present. And so I invite you to make me more grateful this week. Bring me into the room, the court of thanksgiving. I don't deserve to be there. You've made a way for me to be there. We worship you because of this, Lord. Would you be with us? Um, We pray this in your name. Amen.